At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, January 24th, 2024 edition. And it being Wednesday, we have Luke Guerrero back with us. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And we're excited for this hour. It's an hour about you and your questions, your concerns, and ultimately your financial future. So I'm Justin Klein, and we're excited for this hour to answer those questions in an unbiased way, developed over 20 plus years of investment experience. Now we're going to talk about the market performance for today as well as run some run down some show topics, but we're going to hit our first caller question now. Hey, Justin, this is Randy from Florida. Love the show. Wanted to get your opinion on ticker symbol C-A-L-F. It's a small cap value exchange traded fund that I'm interested in buying. Uh, We'd love your opinion on if this would be a good long-term play for over the next maybe 10, 15 years, or there's something better that I should be looking at. Thank you so much and look forward to hearing your thoughts. Bye-bye. All right, this is the Pacer U.S. Small Cap Cash Cow 100 ETF. And I'm not sure of the process they go by to pick the 100 names that they own. Uh, but what it seems to me is they're ranking them based on cash flow. Do you have anything on your screen about their process, Luke? Yeah, so they start with the S&P 600, and then they exclude REITs, negative free cash flow companies, and they rank sort them by cash flow yield, and they take the top Mm -hmm. 100. So what that has done is that it's given them not only a fund that's about 50-50 mid and small cap, but it's given them a fund that's 35% consumer cyclicals. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. And 0% financial services, 0% real estate, 0% utilities. So you don't get any of that. But 11% in tech, 16% in industrials, 10% energy. You know, I, I don't hate the, the breakdown here. Uh, 36% is a bit high for my liking. But I like the process better than just a blind market cap weighted approach. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I think their starting point being the S&P 600 is a little questionable for me. Um, Mm -hmm. You know my personal feelings about standards and poor's generally, but the 600 is purports to be a small cap index and it's essentially whatever an index committee wants. So, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they call themselves the Pacer U.S. small cap cash cows 100 ETF, but it's only 50% small cap. So the caller wanted a small cap value fund. This is not a small cap value fund. This is a smid cap fund and it tilts a little bit towards value, but mostly it's a smid cap prof fund. So based upon what the caller is asking for, I don't necessarily think this is the exposure that they want to get. Got it. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, 
I, I would probably continue to do a bit more research and try to find uh, a fund that kind of has similar filters. I like the way they're filtering out the companies it better than, than most <laughs> approaches, but it just seems like the universe they're going after is not ideal because, as Luke said, the S&P 600 uh, is a bit questionable in its construction. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 40 minutes or so, and time permitting, we're going to hit on all of our topics. Our main focus point covers Bitcoin and how much should you have in your portfolio? What impact does it have on volatility? And especially now that spot Bitcoin ETFs are readily available, we're going to look at the expected increase in volatility that you will get as you add small and maybe even large amounts of your portfolio uh, over to Bitcoin. We're also going to touch a bit on a few other things. One is T plus one trading. That's coming up here in, is it next month? Month after that? I know it's sometime before the summer, right? Pretty soon. Yeah. yeah pretty and soon. Uh, we're going to talk about how that might impact markets just for everyone else. So T plus one is T plus one is one day of a settlement. Right now it's T plus two. It takes two days to settle a trade. And soon it's only going to take one day here in the U.S. So we're going to look at that. Also, after hours, we had Tesla reporting earnings, one of the big MAG7 names. You had Netflix out yesterday, and that was good. And Tesla was the first one to kind of fall flat on its face. So we're going to look at those numbers. And then lastly, how modern leverage creates complexity in our financial system. So we're going to look at that as well. We also have voice bank questions. One is on ExxonMobil, and the other is Kamiko, C-C-J. Now let's take a look at the market today, Luke. Uh, as I said, Netflix had a much had a very good day. That drove large caps up, but small caps definitely didn't uh, didn't follow suit. That's for sure. Yeah, that is that is true. The Russell two thousand ended up down seventy three basis points. It was pretty flat for most of the day. The S and P five hundred was up pretty significantly actually for most of the day before coming back down to earth. But I think you're right in that the big news uh, today was uh, you know Netflix earnings. Obviously, Tesla came out after the close and, and had some misses in terms of uh, Q4 revenue, but also growth projections, which, again, is what we talk about is the more important part of earnings season is those growth projections. But January flash PMIs also you know, hit a, hit a seven-month high, printed a 52.3 versus the consensus 51, primarily driven by service providers and, and more robust domestic demand. So that's good news for, for the bulls out there looking to, to avoid that recession that, that some people think is imminent. Yeah, and we are in the midst of earnings season, and then this these these two days kind of show uh, what earnings season can can do. Uh, you can have it drive markets higher, um, or it can uh, put put it back on its heels, like uh, you're likely to see tomorrow. Um, you know, you're, you're you're going to have that impact on Tesla on the broader market because it is such a heavy part of the S&P at the current time. So, uh, you know, you're, you're going to see these gyrations. The market is overbought. If you look at chart very simply, market's overbought here. And so when you get good news, like you got yesterday with Netflix into an overbought situation, it means the upside is limited, limited. 
And when you get bad news, that can really t- set the market back in a big, big way. And I think you could see that uh, starting tomorrow. And today, you didn't really get uh, that, that that positive surprise nearly as much uh, because we were overbought. So uh, that was the market today and earnings season. And I think uh, we'll have more surprises in store for us as well. Now, as we go to a break, let remind you to check out, let remind you to check out our new Invest Talk Classroom series. It is streaming now for free on our YouTube channel. It's episode 16, titled The Residential Housing Market in 2024. Luke and I talk about the current dynamics in the housing market, and I offer my perspective on lifestyle goals when you select a home. Just search the Invest.com Classroom on YouTube, and now the phone lines are open waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. You get your take on Chewy. Ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on J.P. Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. You know, I'm okay paying... A fair price for a very good business. Steve Peasley. It's a very well-run company. And now Luke Guerrero. EBITDA growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda. I will. Hey, hi, Steve. I'm 24-7, rain or shine, Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Howdy, folks. This is John from Redding, California. I was calling about Exxon Mobil, ticker symbol XOM. I'm really interested in uh, picking it up right now, and I'm wondering what you guys think about it as a long-term investment. Thank you, and have a great day. Well, looking at ExxonMobil, the blue chip of blue chip energy names, large, well-diversified, $404 billion market cap. And energy has started to show the last couple of days some nice outperformance. So that's something of note as sentiment, I think, in the energy space has turned fairly negative, uh, despite it being in a longer term uptrend. And Exxon is... Is, is one of those names that, that, that has had a pullback from around 120 back in late September. And the recent low was right about $95 per share. Now we're at 99.60 at the close today. Uh, Luke, earnings are expected to come down for full year 2023 and then this year uh, about flat. But Overall, I still think it's relatively cheap, and they're buying Pioneer Natural Resources, which is, going to get, which is going to give them a little bit more operating leverage towards energy prices if we do get a rebound. So uh, it's probably not the cheapest name out there, right? But it's probably the safest within the space. 
Yeah, no, it certainly is the safest. It's, you're not going to you know, earn 200, 300% by investing in Exxon, but it's a good company. It's got a strong balance sheet. Its price is down just because oil has been down. I mean, that's how all of these companies work. They're all tied to the price of oil. They move cyclically with the price of oil. So this seems to me like a pretty good spot to, to purchase Exxon. The valuation is pretty reasonable, a 1.9 price to book versus its five-year average of 1.7, 10, 10 times price to earnings. It, it's a good company. We, you know, we hold it for clients. It's, it's a good company. So I, I don't have any issues with it here. And if you look at its multiple, enterprise value to EBIT is about 5.1 times. And that is near the historic lows going all the way back to 1985. Yeah, there were a few instances where it was a bit lower. But in general, it tends to, over the life, it tends to trade closer to six or seven times enterprise value to, to EBITDA. So uh, actually closer to seven or eight. And so at five times, I do think it's cheap. Uh, and I like the purchase of Pioneer. So yeah, as Luke said, we own it for clients. Let's go to Sid in North Carolina. Why don't to look at Meta? Hi, Justin. Good evening. Uh, thank you for taking call. And yes, I do uh, have Meta in my portfolio sometime around 240 to 30 that I picked up doing well, 60 plus percentage. Do you think, uh, should we keep it or sell it off and take the profit because you never know if the market takes the U-turn? Well, Meta is hitting a a new high here recently, but if you look at the chart, you are getting uh, some pretty, pretty poor divergence divergences on things like the MACD. Um, so I'd be a little bit worried about that on the weekly chart. From a valuation perspective, uh, you know, the good thing is they have no debt and uh, very clean, pristine balance sheet or no net debt. Uh, enterprise value EBIT is around 20 times, which is not screaming expensive, uh, but it's certainly not uh, cheap either. Uh, and Meta is, I think, has, has a couple of headwinds going forward. One is going to be the economic cycle. Uh, they're highly reliant on advertising. And if the economy weakens into recession, certainly advertising tends to go the other way. And then you have regulatory risk as well. Uh, there's talk about them, uh, the SEC or uh, the FTC, excuse me, breaking up meta and reversing the acquisitions of Instagram and WhatsApp. So there are risks there as well. Um, I, I think this is a clear time to maybe not sell, but absolutely trim your position at these levels. What are your thoughts, Luke? Yeah, I've said it before. Nobody ever went broke taking profits. And mm -hmm. when you think about the technology sector, and, and like I've said to you before, it's a winner-take-all sector, it seems to me like Meta is has the possibility of being in a race over the next five, 10 years in AI, which mm -hmm. could throw a lot of cash and probably only one company is going to win. So there's certainly a lot of risks out there from, regulatory, from a regulatory perspective uh, and from a cyclical perspective. So I think now would be a good time to, to take some wins, not sell at all, because again, Meta has been very successful over the past 10, 15 years. Um, but certainly uh, taking some profit is never a bad idea. I agree. Definitely sell some at these levels. Now we're heading into a break and our focus point is next. So give us a call at 888-99-CHART.
Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. How they get there and when they get there, that depends on many variables. The more you learn about how the market works, the better your chances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Now our main focus point concerns this question. Is even a little Bitcoin too much for your portfolio? And I think the answer to that, Luke, is it depends. Depends on who you are. Now, a lot of people are interested in adding Bitcoin to their portfolios. Now that easy access to spot Bitcoin ETFs are readily available. And the big question for everyone out there is what are the pros and cons of Bitcoin? And is Bitcoin really a good investment? And that really depends on, once again, who you are, your risk tolerance level. And what I like about this topic is really breaks down the level of volatility that comes with investing in any cryptocurrency. Uh, And remember, Bitcoin is the least volatile of the cryptocurrencies (laughs) out there, which is uh, quite saying something. Now, it's tempting for a lot of people to chase the returns, uh, like in 2023, excuse me, last year, it was up 150%. It was up 300% in 2020. And it was up 1300% in 2017. But you also have years like 2022, when it was down 64%, and 2018, when it was down 74%. And Luke, as you know, math is a thing. And when you go down that much, you do have to go up hundreds of a percent to recoup your losses. And uh, despite that 150% gain last year, it still remains below its all-time high. And cryptocurrency on on average, or, or, or Bitcoin on average, is 10 times more volatile than a standard 60 portfolio, 60 40 portfolio. Uh, since 2014, and even over the past six years or so, when volatility has calmed down some, it's still about it, it's still um, six times more volatile. Sorry, over the last year, it's six times more volatile than uh, it has been, or 60/40 portfolio. Excuse me. Um, so, you know, the big question everyone asks is: if I add Bitcoin. To my portfolio, how much should I add, and what type of risk does that expose me to? Yeah, you know that's that's a good question, and obviously this is coming. This question is coming to pass because since since those eleven spot Bitcoin ETFs were approved in early January, there was nearly over a billion dollars invested in those ETFs in the first in the first week. Um, so, you know, I know that. It, Based upon this this data, if you add one to two percent in Bitcoin, it it, correl- it contributes about three to seven percent in total risk. Five percent in Bitcoin can increase total risk by over twenty percent. But I think the biggest problem for me is uh, number one, a lot of people that are investing in it don't know what they own, mm-hmm. which is very important. A lot of people don't understand Bitcoin; they don't understand blockchain. T- technology. So I would tell anybody who's looking to get an allocation to try and truly understand what Bitcoin is. Otherwise, you're just otherwise you're just speculating. You're 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 not investing, and and the second part of it is that certainly over the past three years, the correlation between Bitcoin and equities has increased substantially. Mm-hmm. In 2022, it just seemed like Bitcoin was a highly levered 
standard NASDAQ ETF. Mm -hmm. yep. So, you know, one of the reasons why you diversify across assets is to diversify your risk away. So you have yep. uncorrelated assets in different types of markets will perform differently. The more and more Bitcoin becomes correlated with equities, it doesn't necessarily have that diversification benefit. It just adds to the volatility without providing that benefit. Yeah. And that's what a 60-40 portfolio, that's why it kind of, I don't say stood the test of time, but it tends to be the uh, bellwether allocation setup for most, say, moderate portfolios is because there is that diversification element in most years. Now, some years, like 2022, that wasn't the case, but in most years, there is that negative correlation there. Um, but like you said, the, it's just becoming more and more like a, a tech ETF. Uh, and when tech does well, like last year, it does well. When tech doesn't, like 2022, it doesn't do well either. So it, it just be, it just has become uh, this this asset class that's highly correlated uh, to large cap growth stocks. And you know, going back to your first point is, you know, know what you own. And in many instances, people are chasing that return, and they are simply speculating. And that's really what that is. It's not investing because they don't really have a thesis of why they own Bitcoin. You know, and I think that's what you really it really has to come down to. You have to believe that Bitcoin over time is going to become a standard global unit of exchange. And more and more people are going to adopt it. And I think overseas in in in, in third world countries where they don't have very stable currencies, it, that is probably the best use case, I, I think, for a Bitcoin. Um, and maybe that expands globally as domestic or not domestic uh, developed markets, uh, their balance sheets become more stretched and, and their central banks become uh, more reckless, shall we say. Uh, and maybe that is the thesis that you go with. And that's certainly, I think, a, a potentially viable thesis. But most people, like you said, Luke, don't understand that, don't have that thesis. They're just chasing that return. Just like any uh, buying any company, you don't want to chase this the, the, the recent returns. You want to focus on what is the true use case or value that that company is bringing to the marketplace and that doesn't change with Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency is what value is it bringing, not what returns you've seen over you know a short period of time. And granted, 10 years is, is in history still a short period of time. Now, on the next Invest Talk, we'll look into the new report that says over one third of U.S. financial advisors plan to retire within 10 years. But for now, I'm Justin Klein with Luke Carrero, ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Talk is always made better when our listeners contribute their questions. So tell your friends and family members they can interact in real time with Steve Peasley and Justin Klein during the Invest Talk live stream program between 4 and 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Or they can leave their questions anytime 24 7 in the Invest Talk voice bank. 888 99 Chart. Hey, Justin and Luke. This is Keenan calling in from Minnesota. I've learned a lot of uh, lessons and insight from your guys' podcast. Really appreciate the work you do. Came across uh, the leveraged ETFs for the S&P 500, specifically symbol SSO. My trading platform has 
about a twice return of S&P over the last 100 years. And typically, I know there's usually a catch with these sort of investments, but maybe it's the losses hurt you more than the gains or it's a liquidity issue. But I was just wondering, what do you guys think about the leverage ETFs? But appreciate all your insight. Thank you. Have a good one. Uh, leverage ETFs are very simple. They are trading vehicles only. They are not buy and hold vehicles. Uh, because And in good times, yes, they do outperform. But it's the bad times when things go awry. And those losses, as we talked before about the Bitcoin losses, how if you go down 60 70%, you have to go back up uh, hundreds of percent. That's where the issues arise with these leveraged ETFs. So can you use them for trading? Sure. But to buy and hold, uh, I, I would not do that. Plus, tracking error. Uh, they don't always uh, go up twice as much, and oftentimes they go up, go down a little bit more than, uh, than that. And then the, the, the cost of just running them is very high as well. Anything to add there, Luke? No, I think you, you nailed it. They're, they're for trading, not for long-term holding. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds cool. It sounds like you're. It's it sounds good. It sounds simple, but in practice, it's not nearly as good. And you can just see, SSO peaked out when the S and P did. I'll just show you this. So the peak in SSO was seventy four dollars and seventy six cents uh, back in January of twenty twenty two. Okay, the high the high was seventy four dollars and seventy six cents. And what's the S&P right now? It's at new highs, right? Well, SSO is at 67.47. 67.47. So you're still down roughly 10% when you would think if it was just as correlated and it was right twice the return over that time period, the high back then, the S&P, SPY, let's call it, was 479.98. Now we're at 485.39. A bit higher, you know, one or two percent higher, but you would think you would be, you know, two to four percent higher on the SSO, but you're not. You're down 10%. So that's just a small microcosm of the problem with holding leverage ETFs over the long term. They're only for trading, not for buy and holding. Let's go to Robert in Pleasanton looking at Cracker Barrel. Yeah, hey, Justin. Hey, uh, I did want to ask you about Cracker Barrel. First, I'd just like to offer up uh, my best wishes and positive vibes for Steve. Uh, hope he's doing okay. Yeah, thanks for the kind words. I certainly passed those along. And you uh, looking at Cracker Barrel? Do you own it or looking to buy it? Oh, I'm just wondering, is this a value trap? Because it looks like it's uh, it's gone down quite a bit. Pretty attractive dividend yield. Uh, just like to get your thoughts on it. Well, put simply, this has a good amount of leverage, uh, and its payout ratio is very high. It's it's 132 percent, means paying out over 100 percent of its earnings. And even if you go by by cash flow, its cash dividend payout ratio is 110 percent, so it's paying out 110 or 10 percent more of its cash flow than it's bringing in. And put simply, that cannot be sustained without earnings really ramping up. And in fact, this year, earnings are expected to fall 12%. And you see with the technicals, relative strength is only 20, 20, very, very low. Um, so 
I you asked if it's a value trap. Looks like a value trap to me, Luke. Yeah, no, I agree. The profit margins have been slipping. It's short interest is around 12%, which can signal one of two things, but certainly a lot of people don't like this name. Uh, and its future earnings forecasts have been going down consistently over the past year. So I would tend to agree that it, it, is, it is a value trap where it is right now. And this is, it looks like a classic example of chasing yield. Don't chase the yield. Remember that. Thanks for the call, Robert. Now let's talk about T plus one, Luke. What are your thoughts on this new change in markets? I think it is a great change, but for all of our listeners who don't know what we're talking about with these letters and numbers, T plus one refers to the difference between when you trade a security and when it settles. So a few years back in US markets, we switched from T plus three to T plus two. So currently when you trade, you don't get the shares for two more days. So moving forward, regulators have been making a big push to uh, shorten that settlement cycle to one day. So why is that good? Well, the largest risk you face when you're trading is counterparty risk. And so by reducing the amount of time, it reduces the amount of counterparty risk and, in, and uh, more, hopefully more efficiently uh, uh, closes the settlement of securities trades. Now, one of the big problems I, I see, Justin, and I think you would probably agree, is just the cost associated with it. So the benefit of uh, you know, a T plus two settlement is if you trade something, uh, your accounting gives you enough time to figure out if you actually have it, and then you may have to come up with the shares before you can deliver them. By decreasing to two T plus one, that means that your accounting practices have to be nearly perfect mm -hmm. and remedial trades can become even more costly when fixing it. But I think overall, given how investors trade, a lot of investors trade in mutual funds, which trade T plus one, I think T plus one settlement cycle is probably going to be a big benefit for markets, uh, even putting the cost aside. What are your thoughts? Yeah, there, there are millions of trades every single day, some small, some very large, and keeping track of all that on a short time frame uh, can be challenging, even in a world where pretty much every trade is done digitally. Um, now, I think this does push the exchanges to modernize uh, in a, a more, uh, in a way that will benefit the end investor. For example, if you sold some shares today, you really wouldn't have access to that money for a couple of days. We get that with clients. You know, someone calls up, they need their RMD, for example, and they, you know, it's twelve thousand dollars, and they only have a few hundred dollars in in settled cash in their account. Now we have to go and sell positions, rebalance their account, and they don't get their money for two more days, right? And now it's going to be the next day they're going to uh, be able to to access that capital. So that's the good thing. Um, eventually, it probably moves closer to T plus zero. And zero might be settlement at the end of the day, meaning like or, or certain increments. Uh, and that could mean, you know, you sell it at nine in the morning, but you don't you can't actually transfer it to a bank until three in the afternoon, for example. Um, so that's probably the next step after this. And you're probably going to need some sort of blockchain to get there. And that type of settlement process, we're probably a ways away from that. 
um, to to do all of this instantaneously, netting trades out uh, in a way that is effective, efficient, and you want it to be always correct if it's going to settle that fast. So I think this will be a challenge uh, for the the entire system, but a challenge that you would think with today's technology they'd be up to, uh, and it'll be better for the end investor. So I think it's a good thing. Now let's pivot back to the Invest Stock Voice Bank that came in earlier from 888.99 chart. I had a question regarding wash sales. I'm wondering if I sell a position, a stock that I hold at a loss to have tax harvested at the end of this year. Is buying an, a longer-term option, does that trigger a, a wash sale in some way? So say I sold a stock at a loss and I buy a leap on that same stock that I don't plan to sell for more than a month, I guess. Would that trigger a wash sale? The other thing that I'm wondering is if I sold this stock at a loss, can I sell a put option that's more than a month out? And if that gets in the money and I end up buying the stock back over a month from when I sold, would that trigger a wash sale? Look forward to hearing your answer. I appreciate it. Thank you. The simple answer is yes, buying a call option would trigger a wash rule. Uh, I don't know. Selling a cash secured put, that's an interesting one because you technically aren't taking control of the upside of that security until you actually are put the stock. I haven't looked at that one, Luke. Do you know, do you know the answer to that? I don't know the answer to that because the definition is uh, you cannot purchase a substantially identical security. So certainly a call option on an underlying security that you've sold, that would be purchasing a substantially identical security. But I'm not mm. sure about the cash secured put. That's an interesting one. Yeah, I kind of like that idea. Um, let's see. Yeah, I don't think that would. I think that might be an interesting but way I will to say, go about it. I will say before you do it, you should certainly consult a tax professional. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> we don't want you to do this and then be be hit be hit by the tax man. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I would just honestly, I'd probably just avoid it instead of trying to uh, argue with the IRS. <laughs> um, I would just wait thirty days. Thirty days, just be patient. I mean, it's only thirty days. Um, if you really want something. Uh, exposure to that particular asset, uh, I would buy a competitor, right? Something that's going to have similar volatility to it, right? If you're selling Exxon, for example, you buy Chevron, that's not identical. Or you could buy uh, an ETF that has a is a large holder of that, like an XLE. If you sold Exxon, you buy an XLE. So I think that's would be substantially uh, different. Um, so those are the ways I would go about it. Um, but I would avoid anything that's direct exposure um, to that particular name. Let's go to Paul in Palm Desert looking at VO, which is, let's see, Vanguard Midcap ETF. You own it or looking to buy it? Uh, I, own, I own it. It's part of a uh, balanced portfolio that I have. And I just want to get your take on... Is it something that you would hold going forward in a balanced portfolio, or is it not the right time to be holding it? Well, I, I have no problem with 
this ETF uh, myself, I, I like mid caps. Mid caps historically have the best best risk versus reward. Uh, long term, over multiple, multiple multiple decades, small caps have the most the best total return uh, over large caps or mid caps. But mid caps have similar total return and uh, substantially less volatility than small caps. So uh, I I like mid caps myself. Um, that's where we tend to operate a lot uh, with, with our client portfolios. Um, although we operate, you know, kind of in large, small, and mid. Um, but you know, right now, this is just consolidating sideways. Um, it, it's been underperforming large caps as of the last couple of weeks, but it's certainly breaking out in relation to those large caps um, since the, the the fall. So. You know, if the broad market pulls back, this will pull back as well. But, um, you know, I like the risk versus reward in mid caps myself. What about you, Luke? Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree. It's also a very cheap fund. It's about four basis points, and that's because it's low turnover and just market cap weighted. I would say just given that it's a part of a balanced portfolio, just be considerate of overlapping holdings with this fund and any other funds you might hold in your portfolio. You might not want to overweight mid caps as much as, uh, as, much as you think. Thanks for the call, Paul. Now, after hours, we had a major earnings report from Tesla, and they basically guided to pretty low growth, especially compared to the history of of the company, especially on the on the revenue side. Now, revenues for Tesla rose three percent to twenty five point two billion. That was the slowest pace of growth in more than three years, and was slightly lower than the expectations that that most analysts had. So, and they they even guided to twenty twenty four vehicle volume growth. They said it may be notably lower than the growth rate achieved in twenty twenty three. So, if they only achieved three percent growth. In 2023, what's notably lower? Sounds like negative growth to me, Luke. Yeah, it certainly could be. It's interesting to me, given that Tesla's original issue, right, was manufacturing and the supply chain is on the supply Mm -hmm. side. They couldn't deliver the cars as many people were buying them. Now the issue seems to be the demand just isn't there. Mm -hmm. And that was evidenced by how many times over the past year you've seen Tesla cut the cost or cut the purchase price of their existing cars. They're trying to get rid of their inventory. Mm. And certainly I just think some of the, you know, we see China BYD overtook Tesla's the top electric vehicle manufacturer in, in Q4, delivering 1.58 million fully electric cars. But just the demand for electric cars, what, five, six years into the into the green transition just seems to be evaporating because one, they're expensive to maintain. Two, they don't go very far. And depending on where you live, it can be more and more difficult to have them be your daily driver, charge them, and have the batteries uh, be consistent. So I just think that that certainly given that demand environment, uh, it could be a difficult year as Tesla's as Tesla's noted. Yeah, and this is uh, the flip of what they've they've typically seen, uh, which was is supply constraint and plenty of demand. Now it's the opposite, and this is uh, the the death knell of a lot of physical product companies is when they build out too much capacity, meaning there's too much overhead. Think of all the factories they've opened throughout the world in China and Europe, here in the US. And now you have China, Chinese companies like BYD being the top 
EV manufacturer in the world, they are uh, overshadowing now Tesla and and their growth. So uh, this could mean really bad things uh, for Tesla going forward. Now we're heading to a break. So give us a call at 888-99-CHART. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hey, Justin, Luke. I just wanted to uh, get your input on CCJ, the uh, uranium holding company. Yeah, just let me know your thoughts. It's the largest uranium miner in the Western Hemisphere. And this is a name we've owned for clients for a long time, since the teens, I think the high teens, when we started to pick it up, now it's at $47.44 per share. Uh, earnings for full year 2023 are expected to be up 91% to 63 cents. And this year, up another 103% to $1.28. And... This is a name that uh, it's pretty much the easiest, I would say safest way, although when I say safest, it doesn't mean it's safe. It's just uh, safer compared to a lot of the other junior miners. Um, it's the safest way to gain exposure to the nuclear trend and in, in, in the uranium trade. And so that's why we've owned it. Uh, I think more and more people continue to pick it up. I will say this, we've actually been trimming back our position, rebalancing it uh, into this st recent strength around the, you know, 47 to, to $50 range. So, you know, from a timing perspective, I don't think it's the best time to do it. But, you know, we still like the name longer term because of that, uh, that trend uh, towards nuclear that is, I think, just highly necessary throughout the world to uh, decarbonize uh, our electric grid. So uh, we like it, just maybe not here. Luke? Yeah, no, I, I do agree uh, in terms of the short-term price movement, but I, I would I would stress that in the long term, just given how much of how much of refined uranium comes out of uh, conflict zones, i.e., Russia, mm -hmm. um, this is going to be a name given its diverse property mining properties outside of of the Eastern European region that is probably going to benefit uh, from the green transition. But I, I do agree that it's it's a little it's a little too steep for me at the moment. But I would definitely keep it on your watch list. Yeah, exactly. If we can dip back into the high 30s, I think that's a great place to pick it up. It may not get there, though. Um, so just be aware of that. It's in a strong uptrend, um, but overbought at the current time. Now, lastly, let's talk a little bit about leverage and our modern financial system. And I think it's worth noting here uh, as we close that anything that involves debt in today's economy um, you have to kind of dig deeper because there are so many layers of debt that uh, these funds, private equity funds, especially private debt funds, um, and just companies in general, there's leverage upon leverage. And that, that, that does create a lot of pockets of unknown risk that are out there. Um, and so 
uh, I wanted to highlight that because it's important to, as Luke always says, know what you own, understand it, understand what that those assets are backed by. It, there are a lot of uh, instruments that are paying yields, and when they are paying above average yields, you're taking certain levels of credit risk. And you need to know, like back in the financial crisis, there were this CDOs and uh, all these leveraged instruments that ultimately came cratering down when the underlying asset values of the homes declined as well. And so this is happening in many instances in other areas of the financial world. And when you go out and you try to chase yield, you are oftentimes exposing yourself to the this leverage upon leverage, and oftentimes with assets that are illiquid and are increasingly opaque. You're not your standard assets backed by equities or backed by uh, real estate, oftentimes it's backed by art and intellectual property and things that are a lot more illiquid. Um, so I wanted to highlight that because cash flow levels in a higher interest rate environment uh, are going to continue to be constrained. And so uh, it's important to make sure that you avoid companies that have a lot of leverage and investments that have embedded leverage in them. Well, I'm Justin Klein, along with Luke Guerrero. This completes another Invest Talk program. We thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.